0: This is Real Good by U.S. Bank, a podcast about helpers.
1: It's accountability of connecting with people so that they understand that um, treating people fairly is part of this culture. And so part of that leadership is saying to folks sometimes, we're not going to agree on everything, but this is the company's mission. And you have to ask yourself, do I believe that all people are created equally?
0: I'm Faith Saley. Welcome back to another season of Real Good. This show started out because we had a desire to find the bright lights in a dark time, to give the mic to people doing important work for underrepresented communities at the outset of the COVID 19 pandemic. What we saw was that the problems the folks on the ground were working to solve weren't the result of COVID. They were deep seated, intergenerational, and intersectional issues that were merely being highlighted by the the virus's impact. So we broadened our scope to find people who were working to change the way the world worked for disadvantaged communities, to speak to the people leading the way toward a more equitable future. I don't think many of us thought we'd still be in the midst of a pandemic right now. As we're recording this, COVID numbers are on the way down in the U.S., but we're on the downside of a spike even bigger than anything we saw in 2020 or 2021. Sometimes hope can feel like a hard thing to come by these days. But if you seek out the helpers, it's hard not to feel like where we're going is better than where we came from. Let's hear their stories. This week, our guest is Carolyn Johnson, CEO of Diversity Inc. We look to the media for accountability. So when the media has blind spots that stop it from really holding businesses accountable, someone needs to step in and watch the watchers. Diversity and inclusion are top of mind for institutions across the country, but people like Carolyn Johnson are making sure these businesses are walking the talk. Greg, hello. Hey, hey, hey. I have a question for you. I recently heard this phrase and I wonder if you've heard it. Have you heard finish line ally?
2: I have not heard that. What does that mean?
0: I was about to say, I I suspect you can intuit its meaning it. A friend of mine who is also a colleague who happens to be black um, yeah. w- was talking about this phrase and she said for her, it means the folks who um, they've read the book, they know what anti-racist means. They yeah. maybe maybe they've hired more black people. Um, they yeah. They quote unquote lean into uncomfortable conversations, and yes. they feel they feel like I've done it. I've, I've done the good work. I'm I'm here. I'm at the finish line. <laughs> High five. Yeah. yeah.
2: Right? <laughs> Where's my medal?
0: That's right. <laughs> and I really like the phrase because yeah, it, it, and I wanted to run it by you because it reminds me of what you're constantly doing, like. There, there isn't really a finish line. You know, you, no. you, you are investing. You're asking questions, and in light of of what we'll be talking about today with with Carolyn Johnson, the CEO yeah. of Diversity Inc., diversity is like the starting point, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, there there is no destination in in any of this work, right? It the great part about it is actually the journey and the doing of the work. There is no finish line, you know, and that—that's kind of the point of it all, right? We're always sort of a, a a nation of imperfections and organizations that are imperfect, and that are, and that's the reason we do the work, so, so that we can continue to, to get better, um, have better results, produce better relationships, have more vibrant and vital communities. All of this is a journey, um, so I don't see a, a finish line. Face, there was a really fun place to start this conversation, actually.
0: Yeah, and when we think of finish lines, we think of like celebration, right?
2: Yeah, like I'm done, like I, you know, like I did what I'm supposed to and I can like go chill and do like no, there's no popping of champagne here. Like there's too much history and there's too much to be done and there is no finish line. There's no celebration. There's no there's no medals that come with this work, right?
0: And and yet there is a sense of accomplishment and and pride and joy along the way. Um which sure. you and I have talked about. Like you you have things to celebrate even as you look into the distance.
2: And that's hard. Like that word celebrate is hard for me because there's far more struggle in this work than there are you know, moments of what I would call celebration. Right? Yeah. You know, I always think people who do the work of DEI, they just have a selflessness. And one of the more sobering things about this work, in my opinion, I'll be curious to get Carolyn's perspective on this, one of the more sobering things in this work, Faith, is that so often you you recognize that you you may not actually see the fruits of your labor in doing this work. I think that's what was so interesting about the generations that came before as they did it for us, and we're doing it for the next generation. And if you do this work, you recognize from day one that it ain't about you.
0: Yeah, we're gonna talk today about the Building Black Wealth Insights research that US Bank did. Um, I found it fascinating. And, and I want to I want to dig into one of the big messages that really came out of that is this is this commitment expressed on the part of the black respondents for yes. building community and building legacy, much more so than any other races right. like who three responded. or four
2: times higher than anybody. And that, you know, yeah. For-
0: I was like, what's wrong with the white people? <laughs> but, but it's that's really not the question because white people don't have to think in terms of building legacy and community because we all just kind of yeah. get born into it, right? We It's it's not a labor in the same Well, you way. know,
2: because I think I've said it on the show once before. Like one of my favorite phrases is from Maya Angelou who said, you know, I, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. And anybody who has a deep appreciation mm-hmm. for you know, black culture and has that lived experience understand that we don't do it for ourselves. Like there are so many people who have sacrificed to put us in these positions. We just innately have this sense of community, right? We clap for each other when Mm -hmm. one of us has made it, when one of us has had success in corporate America, that's both the, that's both the gift and the curse, right? Like when you've had some success, yes, you've achieved Mm -hmm. it, but then there's a different level of responsibility because you're representing not only yourself, but an entire community and that can sometimes be a burden um, for people. And so that was not a surprise for me at all. And there were there were a couple of things that were a surprise for me in the study, and I know we'll talk about that. But that one was one that I think of all of the insights, I think that was by far the most important
0: and heartwarming.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: Talking about success, uh, let's let's bring yes. Carolyn Johnson into this conversation. All glorious, powerful four foot ten inches of her.
1: <laughs> Is that right, Carolyn? Yes, it is. I've finally stopped lying on my driver's license <laughs> renewals. I am forkent.
0: Yeah, but you the power packed into those inches and the inspiration. Um, thank you for joining us, Carolyn. You are you're quite a multi-hyphenate. You, you sit on a bunch of boards. You're affiliated with, uh, I can't keep track of the educational institutions and the titles you have. And P.S., you're a CEO. Um, so it's, it's not such a simple question to answer, but for our listeners, what do you say you do? Who are you? What do you do?
1: Wow. So um, first, before I answer that question, uh, Faith, thank you so much for inviting me um, uh, by way of an invitation um, from Greg Cunningham. Thank you for inviting me to participate in today's conversation. Um, Who I am, um, I I think about something that I read in one of Angela Rye's um, recent newsletters. and And so I'm stealing from her in this moment. Great artists still. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we start the, we start that answer by, you know, running down a list of accolades. But um, the things that I'm most proud of that make um, that make me the person that I am. Um, I'm a mother of two, um, two fabulous little people um, who, who don't take my energy, but give me the energy mm. that I need. Um, I'm a wife of, of next year, Next year will be 15 years. My husband is a civil servant. He's a deputy chief. Um, I'm a daughter. Um, I am a womanist. I am a friend. I am a I'm a niece. Um, And I happened to along the way choose to be a CEO. Um, But it is all of those things that put me in a position to even be able to do this job every day. And it is not the other way around. How would you describe what you do when it comes to your job? While while there are so many moving parts, what I do is quite simple. And that is using data, make sure that people understand that there are um, desperate inequalities in this system that we all operated in, whether we work in it, whether we live in it, whether we learn in it. Um, Consequences and access to opportunity are very different uh, depending on um, many different dimensions of diversity and we'll get into that. And so what I do is using data, make those, those issues very clear so that organizations that actually have a desire, appetite or backbone to do something about it, have the information they need to do it.
0: We should say your title is CEO of Diversity Inc.
1: Yeah, uh, CEO of Diversity Inc. and executive editor. That is correct. A more uh, specific um, description of what I do is Diversity Inc.'s most known um, um, effort is the Diversity Inc. Top 50 Companies survey. It's an annual survey. Uh, 2021 is, has been 20 years since we have been running this assessment. And um, everybody's talking about making a list, but a couple of things I want to point out about ours. It's company submitted data. It is not employee sentiment. This is not about right after a group of people got a raise, they feel great about the company that they work for. This is companies and their leaders specifically making a decision to disclose very uh, private data that they don't typically share with other organizations with us in the following areas. Uh, We look at leadership accountability. We look at human capital diversity metrics, but not just how many Black people do you have, how many Latinos are working for you, um, how many people in your organization disclosed their orientation or that they have a disability or that they served this country proudly. Um, We're looking at it at levels. So what does your board of directors look like from a gender, ethnicity, um, and also other dimensions of diversity perspective? Top 10 highest paid in your company, because we all know that's telling. And then how are you moving people into and through the the, the pipeline to eventually be in a position where if they choose to, um, they can be in the C-suite? We look at supplier diversity, we look at philanthropy, talent development, and workplace practices. So companies are making a decision to disclose data in those areas and have Diversity Inc. be their third-party validator as to what best in class looks like and what opportunities they have.
0: Carolyn, is that an opt-in? Is is it the, the the companies who I would presume that the companies who feel like they are making strides are the ones who are like, hey,
1: check out our data, where do we stand? Exactly. It is. So, you know, um, while, you know, a lot of people think that, um, you know, I'm like mighty mouse. I don't go around strong <laughs> in companies um, into um, participating in our survey. Um, hmm. They opt in to do it. They give us the data. We don't go and scrape the information from publicly available sources. They go to our website, complete a form saying we want to do this. They enter their data. They have a leader sign off on it, saying that the information is correct. Mm -hmm. They get it notarized and they decide to participate.
0: For the record, you still are mighty miles. (laughs) Um, And and also and also for the record, uh, U.S. Bank in twenty twenty one went from number 40 on a list of top 50 to Greg, number what?
2: 18, 18, I think. You You know, the number is less important, um, Faith, than what I think it said for us as an organization is we actually are making some progress. We're actually doing some things right. It's not, again, back to where we started this conversation. There's no celebrations happening here. (laughs) Like we're not celebrating anything, right? There's still a ton of work Mm. to do. And I think... At least for us, participating in the diversity inc um uh, survey each year is our way of assessing not only where are we making progress but where do we still have gaps yep. like that's why it's important faith It's like because it will it will actually indicate to you where you still have opportunities, where you're still falling short, and how do you and so you know as you start that 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 process, understanding what is your north star, what's your aspirations and then using Diversity Inc. as that third-party validator, as Carolyn said, it really helps you close those disparities and close those gaps. It's really for those people who really want to do the work.
0: Carolyn, tell me about some of the common threads you see for companies who are consistently on top.
1: All right. So, I, so first things first, um, I think just uh, like kind of Closing out that last um, uh, dialogue that we had, um, in addition to it not being about the ranking, it does serve as a record of truth, right? Because you have some organizations that are participating, there may be a leadership change and then they may go away. But investors, um, current employees, potential employees, um, uh, others uh, in the in the in the ecosystem of which that company operates will then be able to ask the question, well, why is this no longer important to you? So it also serves as a record of truth. And some of the threats, um, Faith, that we see um, important in this is that it has to start with the leaders who are accountable on this topic. And with the murder of George Floyd and uh, and many others, but we know that that was like the moment where people um, decided to do something different, right? What we see is it has to start with leaders um, making the decisions not to throw money at at the situation, uh, but to be transparent in what they're telling us about where they are, and then making a commitment about where they're going to go, and then making sure that they're clear of how they're going to communicate along that journey. And so there are you know folks like Diversity Inc., but this is really an inside job, <laughs> right? Um, This is not something um, that you you put on an external organization and you circle back around with them once a year. This is an inside job of which there is a team effort. So it's not just Greg's job to make sure that U.S. Bank gets to whatever level of, of equality they've decided. This is the CEO. This is the board. This is everybody if they're going to get there and if it's going to be sustainable. I call it irreversible, sustainable change. So. Those are some of the threads that I see um, where where it's effective, and no matter who is in charge, it's foundational to to how an organization operates.
0: It sounds to me like it really is a top-down initiative. Is that fair to say? it It really has to start with yeah. leaders at mm-hmm. companies. It can't be it can't be, you know, the lower levels, if, if that's okay to say of of a workforce saying, looking around, saying,
1: hey, why aren't there more people of color? Yeah. And, and not, it's a, it's account it's the, and the accountability of connecting with people so that they understand that um, treating people fairly is part of this culture. Yeah. And so part of that leadership is saying to folks, sometimes we're not going to agree on everything, but this is the company's mission. And you have to ask yourself, do I believe that all people are created equally? Do I believe that everybody has rights to the same opportunities? Leaders have to make sure that it is clear. If you are working here and you are responsible for managing people and you don't believe the answer is yes to both of those questions, you may need to find somewhere else to go. That's leadership accountability.
2: You know, Faith, we we talk about it and I 100% agree with what Carolyn said. And it, it is top down and it's, it, it's not only top down, but it's part of you know, if you think about what is your, what is your purpose? What is your why as an organization? Ours happens to be to power human potential. And I tell people every single day, I'm the luckiest person in the world because I've never had more job clarity in my life. Mm -hmm. If our, if our purpose is to power human potential, you know what my job is, is to make sure that's true for every single one of our stakeholders. It's just that simple. Like just, just be true to what you said as an organization. Right. And make sure that that's true for all of your stakeholders. And so this work is directly tied to the purpose of the organization, which actually is set at the top of the house by the board, by the managing committee, and all those, um, all of those different bodies.
0: This list, this top 50 list gets a lot of of media attention. What do you, what do you wish would change about coverage of the list, Carolyn? Is, I mean, what factors do you think get over covered or undercovered?
1: Uh, So starting before the list even comes out, um, the thing that I would love to see happen is um, a different level of honesty as to why companies are even completing the survey, right? Um, And some organizations will complete it because they truly do want to understand uh, what they're measuring um, versus what they should be. Um, uh, Some organizations will reach out and say, we're not ready to be ranked but we do want to participate right because they understand that external benchmarks are important your, your how how you've fared year over year is great but external benchmarks no matter your industry are important but then you have other organizations who just want to use it for the purpose of marketing and pr and not mm-hmm. to change the lives and situations of people who have been disenfranchised and that's so that's a little bit finish line ally Yeah. That part, Faith. (laughs) And so before the rankings are even um, announced, my hope would be that people would get right with why they are participating. And then um, as I'm going to turn this inside um, and and we're working on this, so it's somewhat of a, a announcement. The survey looks at like a year trailing. Right. And so. Um, we're, we're looking at what you did, but I think COVID tells us that we need more real-time understanding of how people are being treated, right? And so, if mm. if I had my way, and and I, and I am because I'm a CEO, right? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I get my way, way right?
2: <laughs> all about your way. <laughs> um,
1: but the survey will be opened all year round, um, and in first quarter of 2022, we will be launching dashboards that allow um, folks like Greg an opportunity to look real time at how talent is coming into the organization, um, uh, being identified as high potential, high performing, being mentored and sponsored by leaders. Um, and, and then what happens to them? Um, are, they, are, are they moved, are, like, are they, it's a lateral move, are they moving up, are they leaving? Um, and you can't look at that a year in review. Um, if you are gonna protect your most valuable asset, you've got to do that real time. So, Faith, that's one of the things that um, if I could, you know, do something differently about the survey, a tool is in place to do that. But the survey yeah. right now um, doesn't look at real time company commitment and performance. And then last but certainly not least, for the companies that do the hard work not to rank on our list, but to make sure that they're doing the work to treat their workforce fairly, um, to, to make sure that their investors know that they are doing their jobs properly. I just wish that they would promote and talk about the hard work and the results of their rankings, Um, making sure that they're talking about it to potential hires, making sure that um, like Northrop Grumman did, I have to give them kudos, that they're talking about their rankings in their proxy statements. These are the types of things that at the end of the process, I would really like to see companies do differently because it benefits them and it benefits the communities and the folks that they touch and serve.
0: I'm struck by your point that you would like these companies who participate to be transparent about their reasons, because, Greg, it makes me think of uh, what I've heard you say and what I've read you say in interviews, which is that at U.S. Bank, you feel like you're coming from a place of humility Um, when you're doing the research, when you're asking the questions, wanting these empirical markers um, again, shying away from the word celebration, right. it's a place of humility. It's where do we have to grow, right?
2: Well, well, when I get a chart that says on day one of my job faith that it's going to take sixty-two years to get Ooh. to, you you have no choice but to be humble <laughs> <laughs> and, and approach it from a place of humility. And you know, I I really like um, Carolyn what you said because I do think you know not enough companies, not enough of us. Are willing to talk about the journey and talk about the struggles out of fear that you know you don't want to talk about where you're not strong. You don't want to talk about a faith. Yeah. You and I have talked about this on many other um, shows where we talk about even just the financial services industry and the and the historical past of our industry and how it's created such mistrust in our communities, not only from a customer perspective, but from a you know an employment brand perspective and how complicit the industry has been in throwing up these barriers it's hard to move forward without having that kind of honesty in sort of embracing sort of what your your industry or where the organization has started and i think for us that was that was job one and that's so much of what the access commitment is about one of the first sentences in in everything you see about the access commitment is us acknowledging the the um, the complicit nature that the industry has played in creating these wealth disparities that we're all trying to eradicate.
1: If and if I can, because I, I I think the the report was outstanding, and Greg, that was going to be the next thing I said. I mean, you cannot be uh, part of the solution without first acknowledging um, yeah. acknowledging the problem and acknowledging not your role, you Greg, but um, mm-hmm. as an industry. Um, what your role is in 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 why how we got here, so that people will have a different type of trust, and how you're going to be um, supportive, and how your advisors will help us get to the next level. And it and it clearly says we must start by acknowledging the financials that financial institutions played a historical role in creating and sustaining gaps in wealth by race mm-hmm. and ethnicity. I mean, if that is not yeah. if that is not owning the problem or part yeah. of it. I don't know what it is. Yeah, uh, the
0: the research shows that um not just BIPOC communities but women too have been yeah. adversely affected by the banking and pharmaceutical industries both in the past and and some of that harm remains residual to this day. Um Greg as a leader of of an organization in one of those industries, how how do you see diversity differently for for the banking business
2: it it comes down to what i what i always um say faith it's this notion of we have to have inca- accountability and you have to have intentionality around it for us that means you know dei doesn't become a program it's a leadership expectation for everybody in the company which is why it's on everybody's performance review which is why it's part of the performance um, of all of our managing, all of my peers on the managing committee um, are evaluated based on their, not only their financial objectives, but also their DEI goals. So there has to be a different level of accountability, faith, and then you have to have some intentionality around it. This work requires a great deal of stamina and courage. And so you have to begin to make some different decisions on talent. You know, as a leader, you actually have to, and I don't even consider it taking a chance on people. You just have to make some different decisions about when you're making hiring decisions and promotion decisions, what does leadership look like in the organization? And being very clear about leadership expectations and 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 what that behavior looks like. And so for us, we're starting to measure that. And you have to measure it. Um, and really looking at the makeup of people's organizations and who's on your leadership team and talent reviews. Are you having specific conversations about women and people of color? As you're talking about who the next leaders of the organization are going to be, you have to actually have specific conversations about women and people of color, because those are where the decisions are being made um, about who the future leaders are. And if you're not being transparent about that from a process and a system perspective, then it'll never happen. Right. Um, So this notion of intentionality, faith, and I just always, always, always underscore the notion of accountability, it's critical.
1: and Faith, I, would, I, I, I think it's also important to note that um, sometimes folks want to do the work. They just don't know where to start. Whether it's a, an assessment like ours, where it's an intervention, um, or whether it's listening to my testimony on March 18th of this year um, before the uh, Financial Services Committee on Diversity and Inclusion, um, it, some organizations just need to understand where to look, what to measure as a starting point. Um, We always hear phrases like, you know, data manipulation and things of that sort. And so sometimes you're getting reports from people whose job it is to make certain situations look good because their bonuses depend on it or a portion of their base comp depends on it. And so as leaders, it's also our responsibility to make sure that we are looking at the uh, the the data as it is, not as it was manipulated to seem, mm. because that mm. is also part of the problem. Um, mm-hmm. Leaders get you know steamrolled and they and they're hated. But sometimes we have to look at everybody who's interacting with the information to make sure that it tells the truth it's supposed to, not the story folks want it to.
0: I'm so interested in the data driven quality of both of your work because. Access commitment at US Bank has hard quantitative goals. And, and of course, Diversity Inc. is is data focused. And I think so often when we hear about diversity and inclusion, the benefits are usually talked about really broadly and figuratively, like you yeah. say, Carolyn, like as a nice story to hear. Um, but I, you know, b- better work, deeper understanding of different perspectives. Tell me more, please, both of you, what it means to focus on data and and what it looks like. Does it come from a place of saying like, look, these are numbers, they are unassailable. You can't like, let's start here because because then we can't build stories around them. These are facts. Is that where you start?
1: Well, I mean, I think you start with, um, and Greg, if you'll allow me to jump in here first. Please. I think you start with Faith, um, the understanding that this is a business, Issue Like any other business issue. If you are if you are trying to understand why, uh, based on the performance of your industry, um, African-Americans or Latinos are not opening, you know, savings accounts. um, You go and you find out why you you have a boots on the ground effort. You talk to churches, you talk to um, professional organizations. You figure out why they do not want to have a relationship with you. And then you go and you do something about it. If you are a pharmaceutical company and you're trying to figure out why people don't want your vaccine, you do the same thing. Mm. So, why is this any different? Why is it that when people come to your organization, because your marketing department did a phenomenal job of saying how great it is to work at company A, but then three months later they are leaving and they remove you and your company name for their LinkedIn profile altogether? (laughs) Why is that not? equally as important from a business issue to investigate it the same way and put the same resources, energy and leadership support behind it. That's, everybody wants to sometimes, uh, when it's uncomfortable, look at this as, oh, well, we'll get to that. But no other part of business that is received as foundational receives that will get to that treatment. And that is sometimes the problem.
0: When you all talk about it being a being a business thing, it it just it, it it just calls attention to the fact that DEI is not for just for people of color. It no. is it is it is for everyone. It's the rising tides thing, and I and I wonder how often in what you do, Carolyn, you you bump up against people who are satisfied by people i mean companies and leaders it's working just fine they're satisfied with the status quo how do you how do how do you push back how do you show them that dei focus benefits everyone
1: uh, so I first make sure, um, because I think sometimes, uh, because we've been doing this work so long, so Faith, I've been at Diversity Inc. going on 19 years, right? Mm-hmm. So I think first, um, because you've been doing it so long, you just have this idea that everybody understands, you know, what that means, um, where, where we've made progress, but where progress still needs to be made. So first things first, what I do is make sure they understand what it is exactly we're talking about. Because to your point, a lot of folks uh, will pigeonhole diversity, inclusion into just being first being about ethnicity and then being about gender, not thinking about the other dimensions like orientation, socioeconomics, um, disability, disabilities, veteran status. Right. Um, And so I think that that is something that we have to make sure. And mind you, the intersectional challenges, right, that are also in play. And what I mean by that is, you know, Faith, um, you know, um, you, you, you look at me, and you say, OK, Carolyn's a black woman. Right. But I'm but I'm black and I'm a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there could be so many other things about me that you cannot tell by looking at me. But when I'm in a work situation or a class situation or community situation, it's one more thing that is used to hold me back, preventing me from taking advantages or having access to the opportunities I deserve, right? So I think first we have to make sure that we educate people, right? And this is not for everybody to do. I'm not saying, Faith, go have this conversation. I'm telling you, I have to do that because this has been my life's work. Mm -hmm. So first, make sure everybody understands what it is that we're talking about. And that I am not just saying that it's about black people, even though I'm a black person having this conversation with you. So you then have to make sure that you are educated about the issues that are happening and impacting other groups. Like when we were when we were experiencing and seeing video, everybody talks about the videos about black people being hurt and wronged, But what about. All of these issues with people do like you know, just doing hateful things to Asians, saying hateful things online. You cannot do this work without understanding what is happening to everybody in the community of folks that are underrepresented, hated, wronged, with no support from those in power. You've got to be very clear about what happens there. And then you have to meet them where they are. Everybody is mm. not ready for the... You know how to be an anti-racist. They should be, but they're not. How do you meet them where they are? And you do that with a level of empathy, and you leave the anger or excitement, Mm. whatever they want to call it, that day. I'm like, I'm always excited. Folks think I'm angry. I'm like, okay, whatever works. (laughs) Right. So, so how do you meet them where they are? Right. How do you make sure that they become Um, uh, Dr. Ella Bell says we need co-conspirators, right? So how do we, how do you meet them where they are? So they become co-conspirators in the fight for justice and equality for Mm -hmm. everybody, no matter where they are, you got to meet them so that we can bring our co-conspirators along in this fight and trust and believe this is a fight.
2: You know, what, what DEI is faith for organizations, it's a value generator and you know, the the only way to sort of meet your objectives is to ensure that everyone um, in the organization has the opportunity uh, to contribute in ways that are differential. Um, and as Carolyn said, I think the fact that employers now have to think about the whole person is a real opportunity for organizations. That's a real opportunity. It's not a burden, right? People, mm. there, there there aren't as many you don't have that transition time like you used to like the the work-life balance thing it's just all your life now like that's what COVID did it 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 sort of took away that that time where you could transition from work to your personal it's all just kind of your life now and i think organizations have a real opportunity to sort of manage this whole person Um, and that speaks directly to the notion of what carolyn was suggesting around authenticity and bringing your life's work. I tell people all the time, there's no white space between who I am and what I value and what I get paid to do for U.S. Bank. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate in that respect. Yeah. Right? I get to do what I'm passionate about. And so how do yeah. you create an environment where more people or everybody in the organization is doing that work that gives them energy?
0: I, I want to repeat what I heard you say. It's not a burden. It's an opportunity.
2: Correct. hundred percent.
0: And then it's, and then if you seize the opportunity, it becomes a benefit.
2: That's correct. That's how you get the best talent. And that's how you get the best outcomes.
0: You know, well, you too, of all people, know that we often see diversity and inclusion initiatives thrive in the entry level. And then they kind of peter out as we rise on the corporate ladder. Um, there was a study by the Journal of Applied Psychology that showed when women and people of color are handling recruitment, diverse applications more than double. Um, but for workforces to thrive, folks need to see people like them at every level, right? And and you're both at the top of your fields. You're both Black. How did you find the challenge of continuously
1: climbing to the c suite So before I talk about my my personal experience, um, what I will say, um, which I think is relevant to your question, um, is that when you think about um, the comment I made earlier about recruiting agencies do an outstanding job telling people why it's so great to work there, I think the handoff needs some work, right? Um, The handoff around making sure that we understand who is coming into the organization through the onboarding process and what kind of download we're giving them about the organization? Uh, what time what type of resources that we're giving them to make sure that they're successful? Um, and then when we are you know, moving them through the pipeline, again, measuring like we do everything else. You've got people that come into the organization. How many of them are participating in an employee resource group? It doesn't have to be one that serves someone like them or, you know, based on their dimension of diversity, but have they been introduced, right? Leadership engagement with those groups. Uh, What what leaders at levels one through four of your organization? And that's how Diversity Inc. looks at leadership levels. So level one would be the U.S. lead or CEO in their direct reports. Uh, Level two will be their direct reports. Level three, their direct reports. And then level four, their direct reports. So how are those leaders Required, not asked or voluntold, but required to interact with the incoming talent, the high potential talent. And then, are you looking to make sure that, from a ratio perspective, that the high potentials are represent the, the ethnicity, gender, um, you know, orientation, all of those things that you can measure are measuring. Are you making sure that it's equal based on your overall workforce? Are you making sure that it's equal based on your Management overall uh, management and then your top levels of management. If it's not or you're not measuring it, that's a problem. And then what happens? I, I'm in love with the way you
0: do this. It's so. It, Greg keeps using the word clear and clarity today. It's so. It's so clear.
1: Measuring demonstrable. But the, but, the, but but again, like I just want to get, share some of the data with you, and this will be my last point, Greg. I'll turn it over to you. Um, Uh, the diversity data shows all top organizations. So that's gonna be our top 10 in the hall of fame, right? Um, They have formalized systemic efforts in place to combat unconscious bias, right? Now I believe in, um, in bias that is unchecked. I don't believe it's always unconscious. I just think folks have been getting away with certain things and so they keep doing it until they get checked like we see folks getting checked now. Um, But that's 75% of all survey participants have some some form of a check in place to combat unconscious bias. And also top organizations are most likely to test for bias in their selection process. So you have sometimes people don't even Mm -hmm. get into the organization because somebody doesn't see themselves in that person or because a tool that they have was programmed to weed certain people out unconsciously or not. The outcome is still the same. Um, And last, but certainly not least, um, top organizations are more likely to require all employees to learn about unconscious bias bias regularly, not one time as part of their training programs.
2: What Carolyn was talking about in terms of the systems change, you know, one of the things we implemented a couple of years ago was this notion of the Rooney rule, which was an NFL generated rule to ensure they had diversity in the hiring of coaches um, in the NFL to ensure they had at least one minority candidate for any coaching position. Well, what we've done is actually implemented the Rooney Rule for all open positions in our in our organization. So there's at least one woman or one person of color candidate in the talent pool. Um, and in addition to that, having diverse interview panels, so to Carolyn's point, it can't just be up to the hiring manager that's got bias. There needs to be a, a selection of people who are actually helping to inform that decision, so you can you know uh, reduce the the bias, and then you know mandatory training is always important, plays a role. we have mandatory unconscious bias and cultural identity training. but I think the thing I wanted to really stress um in this part of it is just think development and talent development is so crucial. um your point faith was about there's al- there's always more diversity at the bottom of any organization mm-hmm. right and you 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 find this 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 talent cliff that happens as you move up. One of the ways that companies have to address this is to ensure that there are very intentional development plans for all people, but particularly for women and people of color that are coming up through the organization. And so we actually measure that and it's actually input in the system. And so making sure that there are very clear development plans for all your employees and particularly for women and people of color brings visibility, intentionality into our favorite word today, clarity around what you are doing as a leader to develop every single person on your team. And this notion of inclusion becomes a, um, it becomes a cultural evolution because you can't just hire your way to inclusion and too many companies want to buy the talent and just hire, you know, people so that they can get their numbers up. The cultural change happens when you're developing and grooming and women and people of color are growing and ascending in your organization into decision-making positions. So I think, and that's a slower burn. And that takes us way back to the original point we were making when Carolyn said too many companies are interested in what their rank is on the list and sort of getting a number or getting a rank. The slower burn and the real change actually takes takes longer, which is why I'll end where I be- began and say it's not about a destination. The work is in the journey, and that's how you change outcomes.
0: You know, Carolyn, you so fully embody your position as, as leader and CEO and I was really interested to read an interview in which you talked about uh, the moment when the founder of Diversity Inc., Luke Visconti, let you know he was, you know, making you his legacy, wanted you to take over and be CEO, and that you had a feeling of maybe a little
1: fear, maybe maybe not being ready. I'm still standing here scared. So listen, that don't just play. <laughs> no. I love that you just said that.
0: I feel like Greg and I talk about that all the time. That real yeah, leadership is yeah. always
1: about the strength of vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. I, get, I, 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 unfortunately, um, Arnie Sorensen, um, who was the CEO of Marriott, he passed, um, in, in, in uh, 2020 or earlier this year. Um, but, one of the one of the conversations that I had with him, uh, which Greg, which is why I love, um, you know, t- you know, powering, you know, he, he, the purpose, and human potential. I love that because um, I didn't realize it in 2010 Faith, when Luke said that to me. Right. Um, but I realize now I actually it doesn't matter the title. Right. I'm getting and I know people say, well, yeah, you have the title so you could say it doesn't matter. Fine. I hear Mm -hmm. you. I get that. Um, But I can say that even before I was told that I was going to um, that I was being uh, that he wanted me to be his successor. I mean, think about that. Just like put a a pause there for a second. How Mm -hmm. often does a young black person get an opportunity to have the keys to this kind of kingdom, if you will, handed to them? You've got a lot of businesses that are founded by black people. They have to build their own. Nobody is handing over the way mm-hmm. Luke did um, with me. And I'll, I'll always be grateful. Luke, Luke is, is super cool. He's a dope dude. Um, but at that time, I was because it was so clear to me what was what was possible I wasn't worried about the title because I could see the progress, right? And I could see how my role um, in the work that Diversity Inc. was doing, is doing, was moving that forward. And in some cases, putting us in a position where while some things will go backwards, there's a place we will never go back to again. And title aside, I had every opportunity to be part of that work. So when he said that to me, you know, and this is retrospect, because I was not, you know, I, I, I wasn't thinking like this then. Um, but sometimes when you have an opportunity to pause and look back, you know, the Sankofa concept, understand where you were to know where you're going. Um, that, that, in that moment, then to now, I really do get and understand uh, what he was trying to do, why he chose me. Um, uh, why he continues to choose me every day? Because he could fire me at any second. <laughs> okay, uh- <laughs> he's too smart for that. <laughs> and so, and, right. and so, yeah, I it, um, it that was just like a moment for me where I was like, oh my god, me? Like, why me? I don't think I could do this. He, those are some huge shoes. Those were
0: yeah. some huge shoes to fill. Thank you both for your stamina. I have basically one more question. I just want to be really respectful of your time because y- y'all have companies to run. We've talked some about this Building Black Wealth Insights Survey. I, I must have read it four times. It's so interesting. And there's so much there to talk about. But one thing that jumps out is that the majority of the Black Americans you spoke mm-hmm. to feel like their situation, their financial situation is getting better, yeah. that it's that it's better than pre-pandemic. And, and this is a part I need you to illuminate for me. And they feel that the racial wealth gap is still growing. Yeah. So what do you think accounts for that dichotomy?
2: That's the, that's the, you know, that, that's the challenge with all of us that face, particularly those of us that are, that are black, that we often face is because we oftentimes will have individual success and there's no surprise. I mean, if you think about what's happened in the last year and a half, two years, um, you know. If you were in the market, and we spoke to affluent Blacks um, uh, face, so just to put it in context, you got to think about these are people who have had some professional success. They've got investable assets, et cetera. If you've invested in the market in the last two years or so, you've done well. You, you've actually done really well. And you know, for many professional um, Black Americans who maybe have made a job change, there's a premium for Black talent. So many people have changed jobs, got promotions. New. So, for that small piece of the population, you can understand why they're saying, I'm actually doing better off than I was financially than I was prior to the pandemic. However, I recognize that the systemic issues still exist. And I actually don't think that they're going to go away. What they told us mm. was that they don't think that there's going to be much change in the racial wealth gap by 2030 because the system hasn't changed. Yeah, I got promoted. I now report to the CEO. I'm in the C suite of my organization. But have the systems changed for the people that I care about in my community? And I understand that I play a role in that and I have a responsibility for it. And so although I'm in a better place, my community definitely isn't in a better place. And I may be optimistic and hopeful, but for most of the respondents, they've said in the next, you know, almost 10 years, they don't see that changing. And that was a bit of a surprise to me. And um, yeah. I happen to be more of an optimist because I think so much of us are doing doing the work and particularly here in Minneapolis, where I, which I can speak to, I think I'm seeing, you know, different coalitions and collaborations um, happening between community and business. Um, and I think what the, what the study is illuminating is a real concern on the part of um, the black community, particularly the affluent black community, that it's not about them, it's about the community. And their concern is will they be able to leave generational wealth? You know, I don't I don't quote Tiffany Haddish often, but she did get it right when she said her fiance, you know, don't buy me a ring, buy me a building, you know, that I can actually give (laughs) that I can pass on to the next generation. I think that's what people care about. And that's what the study is essentially telling us. I might be doing fine, but my community isn't. And I feel a real tug and a responsibility to do something about that.
0: Uh, Look, I learned in this conversation that we we don't celebrate. Um, Carolyn, you said it's it's it is right to pause and be proud, um, but but to keep going on. And uh, I I am really, really lucky. I, I, I get to do my little part in, in running this race beside you all. And uh, and and thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Faith. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you both. This was awesome. Thanks so much for listening to Real Good by U.S. Bank. If you like what you heard, listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.